This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Good morning, I'm Pastor Bob Johannes, one of your fellow members here at Victory of the Lamb. And a week ago Wednesday, uh, I taught a seminar titled, What's Up With All These Laws? Taking a look at God's laws, Old Testament laws, as they're found in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Now, as we began, we asked uh, uh, just a simple question. What's the purpose of laws, secular laws specifically? And I like this simple definition. In simple terms, the purpose of secular law is to set out rules on how people can live, work, and do business with each other in peace and safety. So it's all about relationships with one another. How do we safeguard those relationships? Well, the very same thing is true of divine law. How do we live at peace with the God of the universe, the God of perfect holiness, the God who created all things, and then live at peace also with other human beings who are created in God's image? Now, Jesus summarized the law in exactly that way, and I would, I would encourage everyone to memorize Jesus' words. They're so simple. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So the first great command is that Jesus says, Love God with all your heart, a total devotion to him and him only. Now, to understand the purpose of divine law, I guess I would take most of you back to something many of us as young Lutherans learned in seventh and eighth grade. The three purposes of God's law are to serve for us, first of all, and primarily as a diagnostic tool. It allows us to take a good, hard look at ourselves and see the problem. Now, a diagnostic tool doesn't cure the problem. It simply reveals it. And then the second two purposes are are not as important, but they're still there. Uh, One, to set out regulations for us. If we want to ask ourselves, what does God want? What pleases God? Here it is. And the third purpose is to sort of rein in our naturally outrageous sinful behavior. God wrote it in our conscience, in our heart, that it's wrong to murder, wrong to steal, wrong to steal someone else's spouse. And that just sort of reigns in that that, that general sinful nature in us and among us. But that first use is the most important as the diagnostic tool. And sadly, what it tells us is we are sick and we can't approach God. So we we read a few Bible passages, Psalm 24. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. So clean in action and attitude. Or as Paul says in Romans twice, he says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Or Paul himself confesses in Romans 7, he says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. 
So all these laws from Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy really have the same purpose, to show us that in our relationship to God, we are broken and we can't approach him on our own. So then we took a really quick tour through the laws that God gave in those three books. Uh, first of all, the most obvious, the, the moral laws, we call them the Ten Commandments. And in our, in our talk, we even put quotes around that phrase, the Ten Commandments, because when you look at Exodus chapter 20, where God gives them, they're not numbered, and they're given some with a great deal of emphasis, some just simply state God's command. And very obviously, when you look at the chapter, it's the first commandment that gets the greatest notice from God, the most verses. And that command is, of course, against idolatry. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and nothing else. And we pointed out that an idol is anything that takes God's place in our lives, in our hearts. And of course, the most dangerous idol of all is me. And, and then we looked at commandments two and three. Commandment two, uh, emphasizing God's name, everything he's revealed to us about himself. And then the third commandment about God's word, the Sabbath day, not so much keeping the day, but what we do on that day, setting that time aside for God. That was the purpose why God said, rest on that day. You and everyone set the time aside. And then we looked at commandments four through 10, all guarding our relationships with other people, our parents, other human beings. And we paid a little special attention to the ninth and 10th commandments regarding coveting. Those are often the most easily misunderstood because that word covet is probably best described as sinful wanting. Not that wanting is wrong, but when we want something and think, well, if I just had that, life would be perfect. If I just had that, life would be secure. If I just had that, I would have everything. Well, that's saying I need that more than God. And it was interesting, as we had our discussion, someone said, think about the Ten Commandments like a circle. Because really, that coveting commandment brings you right around to the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's how we, we, we closed up the Ten Commandments. Then we looked at the other two kinds of laws that God gave in the Old Testament. He gave civil laws to, to govern the nation of Israel, and he gave ceremonial laws to guide their worship. And it was interesting when we when we asked that question, we, we had to talk about the fact that God never intended that his nation would have an earthly king. God set up the nation of Israel to be a theocracy with him leading the nation through these laws he'd revealed to them. And finally, when they demand a king many hundreds of years later, God says, they rejected me in asking for a king. So in those Civil laws, we saw laws uh, regarding property, inheritance, marriage, divorce, crime and punishment, and we took a special look at Exodus 21, where God actually differentiates. If you read the chapter, he differentiates between the crime of murder 
and manslaughter and negligence. He gives special rules regarding slaves. We spent a quite a bit of time talking about the fact that in ancient times, slavery was a way of life. Probably one third of the, the people in any of the ancient cultures were slaves. And so it wasn't that God was putting his seal of approval on slavery. In fact, later on in the New Testament, he tells slaves, be a good slave if you have to be a slave, but if you can get free legally, do so. We looked at laws about food, what is clean and unclean on cooking and storing food. And, and something we pointed out, we can't understand uh, a reason why God declared certain foods clean and others unclean. Why are locusts fine to eat but not lobsters or shrimp? Or why can you eat beef but not pork? Why can you eat certain birds but not others? And we'll get to that in just a, a little bit. And then we looked on, at purity laws uh, that cover everything from skin diseases to menstruation, and those were in the book of Leviticus. So when you're reading through Leviticus, you hit a lot of those. And then a question that, that, that let us pause for a while is, we asked, what's the difference between sin and uncleanness? And when you read through Leviticus especially, and you start seeing some of the things that can make you unclean, like touching a dead body. If you were with a loved one when they, they died, you would become unclean. If you walked over a grave, you would be unclean. Uncleanness seems to be a kind of pollution from sin that we just catch, that just rubs off on us from being part of this sinful world. And in every case, when God describes uncleanness, the uncleanness can be solved. It's always something where you're unclean for a certain number of hours or a certain number of days or you take a certain bath and then you're clean again. And at this point, we, we watched uh, the Bible Project video about Leviticus and everybody should watch that. It, it made it really simple, really plain, uh, took care of a lot of the, the same questions we were talking about. And then we, we also looked at the ceremonial laws. We didn't spend a lot of time on them because they're very long and elaborate, but regarding religious festivals, sacrifices, the priesthood, the temple, the tabernacle. Uh, and if you're reading Exodus right now, you're reading exactly that portion where God is describing in intimate detail how the tabernacle should be built and set up, uh, how the priests would be consecrated. And, and you noticed that God... God gave all the details even down to the kind of underwear the priests were supposed to wear. They were supposed to be briefs from waist to thigh. So, as we concluded last week, the big question is, why in the world aren't we teaching and obeying all these laws anymore? And the New Testament makes it so very clear. I'll just read it to you, Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So all of those festivals and rules were just pointing ahead to Jesus' perfect sacrifice. 
and now they have been done away with. Uh, the book of Colossians says those laws were nailed to the cross along with Christ. And if you want to read just a beautiful description of this, uh, read from Hebrews chapter 9 or 10, describing Jesus' perfect sacrifice, explaining that all of those sacrifices of the Old Testament, none of those really forgave sin, only Jesus' sacrifice does, and they all pointed ahead to him. We looked at some other Bible verses, Jesus saying, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So not only did Jesus complete the law, he kept it as well in our place. And realize if you read Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continues to teach the Ten Commandments very, very clearly. And please, as you conclude this, realize that purpose of God's law that we began with, that really its primary purpose is as a diagnostic tool. And the goal of the Christian life is not perfection. The goal of the Christian life is that we find our perfection in Jesus' perfection. That's what the law always does, is drives us to look at ourselves and say, I am broken, I am messed up, but Jesus is perfect and thank God for his righteousness. And then we read a quote from one of our Christian confessions that was written about 500 years ago. And it says it so beautifully, the purpose of the law. And it's talking about God's gift of repentance. It says, repentance has two parts. One is contrition, that is, terrors smiting the conscience through the knowledge of sin. The other is faith, which is born of the gospel and believes that for Christ's sake, sins are forgiven, that comforts the conscience and delivers it from terrors. So that's how the laws fit in. That's why there are so many. And if you want more information, want to know more about our Bible reading program, just go to victoryofthelamb.com. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.